All right. So, March the 12th, 2023, going through the book of Esther, lesson number 9, and we're going to be doing chapter 7. So, uh, let's go ahead and read chapter 7 and we'll get started. So, the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen. And the king said again to Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, and see that the Bible is so specific. And, you know, they've been going to a banquet, but what is a banquet? And it just points it out here. So it's like a wine tasting deal. It says, a banquet of wine. And what is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to half of the kingdom. Then Esther, the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. So I'll stop there for a second. So what does that mean that the enemy could not countervail the king's damage? So I'll ask anybody know what that means? What does that word countervail mean? Um, somewhat, but it means be equal to. So basically she's saying, if I had held my tongue, although the enemy, and we know the enemy's who? Haman. She's basically saying Haman could not countervail or be equal to the king's damage. In other words, she's telling the king, Haman is not equal to what he's destroying. So you're not better off with Haman than you are with the Jews who are serving under you. That's what he's saying. So we'll move on. And so a lot of things like that I just kind of skip over when I'm reading. So I just wanted to stop and kind of throw that out there. Smiles kind of running off of Haman's face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Verse 5. Then King Ahasuerus answered, and he said unto Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary, the enemy, is this... What's it say next? Wicked. Wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. Now, he had just been on cloud nine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a somebody. Well, now he's going to find out he's going to be a nobody. Verse 7, And the king arising from the banquet of wine, his wrath went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed where, whereon Esther was. And then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face, and Harbana. One of the chamberlains said before the king, Behold also the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai, 
Then was the king's wrath pacified. So we have a big twist going on in the story right here. It just took a, a, not necessarily a twist, but a turn. So Esther chapter 7, I have the title is Esther's Petition is heard. It's finally heard. Now, how many times had the king asked her at this point what her petition was? This was the which time? It's the third time. It's the third time. Because it happened first when she went in to see the king, when he held out the scepter. It happened the second time when they went to the banquet of wine on the first day. And now on the second day, he says it again. And so... You think about that and you're like, well, third time's a charm, right? And so the king, if he doesn't uh, give her her request, it's going to be kind of a heel in his own eyes because he's asked her the question three times, okay? And so at this number point number one, it says, at the second banquet, Esther's request is finally heard. And we see that in verses one through six. So the truth comes out. And, and, uh, and up to this point... The king has been listening to the media. I mean, not the media, to uh, to Haman. I, I'm sorry, it just slipped out. Okay, and uh, he's been getting bad information, but it's going to come out now. Okay, and so point A says, if I and and here you see Esther, and she goes, if I have found favor in thy sight, and she's very. Polite. She is very, uh, her, her attitude is reverence. And she goes, if I have found favor in thy sight, and I talked about this a week or two ago, what did the king see in Haman? Well, number one, he saw her beauty. Number two, he saw her character. I would suppose he saw her faithfulness to him. What else? He said Haman. Did I say Haman? I'm sorry. That should be Esther. Okay. What did the king see in Esther? He saw her beauty. He saw her character. He saw her faithfulness, her loyalty, because remember Mordecai had told the queen, hey, there's an assassination plot against the king who's your husband. And of course, she she went and, and it was so and they hung the guys. So, I mean, she goes, if I've found favor in thy sight, now of course the king's going to be like, yeah, you're the queen. I made you queen, you know. Um and then she says, B, it says, if it please the king. So again, it's the same attitude. She's very humble. She's admitting who basically she is, and she's admitting who her husband, who just so happens to be the king is. Because she's, 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 uh, giving, basically showing that her authority is the king in, in what she says. Okay? She's honoring him. She goes, if I found favor in your sight, if it pleased the king, and then see, it says, let me, what do you think goes in the blank? Let me, what's her petition? Let me live. live. Now that's what I call a bombshell moment because the king, that just floored the king. Not only that, it's going to floor Haman at the same time. She goes, let me live. You ask me what I want, king, this is it. I want to live and I want my people to live. And that was it. And under D it says, and let the lives of my people be spared. And then she says the reason for this. Because the king is probably going, 
what what are you talking about, right? And the reason for the request is basically, she says, for we have been sold. So what does that mean? They've been sold into what? Bondage. Bondage or slavery. Okay. And she goes, for we've been sold. We've been, we are to be slain. That's worse. And we are to be destroyed. You can put destroyed in that next blank. She's basically telling the king. She And she goes on to tell the king. She goes, and if it was just slavery or bondmen, I would have held my peace. Because our, 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 uh, our, uh, our uh, nation, the Jewish nation, we're used to that. We were, we were bondmen to, to the Babylonians. We were bondmen to and slaves to Egypt. Because she she goes, this is worse. So you have to remember at this point, Cyrus has already sent the Jews back to Israel, and the people that are still there in Persian Babylon area, they're there on their own choice. They're not bondmen at this point. But she's like, hey, if it was just bondmen, if you were going to sell us into slavery, we I would have kept my mouth shut. But this this I can't. Because this decree that's went out is basically going to kill all of us. Okay? And so it kind of, you know, and I don't want to say this in the wrong way, but we have certain people in America that are just so hung up because they were slaves. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that they were slaves. It was their great, 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 great grandparents were slaves. And here Esther's like, you know what, that's that's bad, but you know, this this is worse than that, you know. And so um um yeah. So that's the reason for the request. And then under F on your handout it says the person responsible for this destruction. And verse six, let's read verse six, and then, or let's go back to verse five. Then King Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he? And where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And and so here's Esther. And Esther says, verse 6, And Esther said, The adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. You reckon she's pointing at him? She's like, right there, dude. That's the guy. And And Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. So, she she talks about she points him out who's responsible for the destruction well it's it's this it's this adversary she calls him an adversary in verse six now who else is our adversary Satan. Satan so so hold your finger here so where would I go to point somebody out that Satan is our adversary Revelation. not quite. Where, where is a good verse that talks about what Satan is or who Satan is? First Peter. The devil walketh about like a roaring lion. Okay, so where's that at? See, that's why you got a mark in your Bible. And I know you need a new one. <laughs> okay. If Paul, Paula, will you let him have a new one? It's an inside joke. <laughs> he told me yesterday, Paula, Paula goes, no. Okay, so go back to First Peter. You guys are from Missouri, so you got, not only do you got to show people, you have to, you got to remember first. So 1 Peter 5.8, if I'm right. I want to make sure there's a Peter in my Bible. 1 Peter 
5.8. I've told you guys the story when I, my first, I think the first day I went to Shepherd School. And I'm sitting there and I'm kind of a little intimidated because I'm just a little nobody and with all these guys that, you know, that know all this stuff. Cause I, when I went there, I, I literally, we had just joined. I went there to go to Shepherd. I didn't know anybody. So I'm just sitting there and I'm like, Oh Lord, when, when, when the instructor says to turn to a book in the Bible, help me to find that book. Help me to find that book. Please Lord, don't, I don't want to look like an idiot in front of these people. I'm sitting in the back row. They probably couldn't see me anyway. But I'm like, they're like, okay, turn over to, to, you know, Malachi, turn over to, you know, all the minor prophets or whatever. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I've got this. I've got it. I don't know what I was worried about. I don't know why I prayed to God about it, because I've got this. And they go, turn to John. I couldn't find John in my Bible. I'm looking all over. I'm flipping. Where's John? Where's John? And I know where John is, but it just wouldn't open up. And I'm like, okay, God, I get the point. (laughs) Just when you think you're, you know, all that in a bag of chips, like Brian says, I'm like, okay, God, you were helping me. And I know that, but when I got to thinking I, it was all me. Thank you for proving your point. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, I'm like, now, I know where John is, but I just couldn't get it to open up. Verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom thou may devour. And that's why we say in the book of Esther that Haman is a picture or a type of the devil or the Antichrist. So he's our adversary. But it also, what's it say back in verse 6? It says, And Esther said, The adversary and enemy. She calls him an enemy. So we've heard that before in in, uh, Esther. So go back to Esther chapter 3 and verse 10, and we'll read that. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jews' enemy. So right there, it's talking about Haman is the Jews' enemy. Of course, we're talking with Mordecai a little bit more. But again, he's our adversary. Uh, Haman is our, was her adversary. He was her enemy. And then she says, and Esther said, the adversary, the enemy is this wicked Haman. Now, what does wicked mean? Evil. Evil? Schemer. Schemer? Devil. Oh, you could probably get devil in there. What else? Ungodly. Ungodly. Oh, that's what I was looking for. Did you read my notes? No. Okay. Ungodly. Now, we should have all had ungodly because we just read about ungodly people in a book we just studied, right? Remember the last book we went through? Jude. Jude. Okay. Barely. Barely. Okay. So, let's go back to Jude and look at it. Okay. So I need to help you find it. <laughs> you got this. I know. You've got this, Bob. 
Uh, let's look at chapter 4. I mean, verse 4. Uh, it says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, turn over to verse 12. Verse 12 says, and again, we're talking about these ungodly men. It says, and these are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea foaming out of their own shame. Wandering stars to whom has reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, specifically this group, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. A very, he paints a very dim picture of ungodly people. And when we went through this, I said, you can put wicked, you can put evil in place of ungodly, because again, that's what it's saying. Okay? So, wicked also, can you think of any other words that, that maybe derive from wicked? Wicked comes from that. And then which comes from that word also. I was looking through this and I'm like, I had never really realized that, that it comes from wicked. That which comes from wicked and wicked comes from wicked. But, but I mean, look it up in the dictionary and it'll start showing it out. You know, these, these come out of this same word. This group does. So wicked. Wicca, witch, yeah, it makes sense when you think Devils. about it. Devils, I mean, rebels, rebels. okay. Witchcraft is as, as rebellion. rebellion. <laughs> Which, witchcraft is as rebellion. So yeah, you see all, you see the pattern fit. I mean, it all gets in there. But I thought that's pretty good. Wicca, you know, you got all these people talk about, oh yeah, I, 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 I'm into this Wicca. So you're into wickedness. Oh, that's goodness. The world's upside down right now. So, I mean, what's that? Are they into that? Okay. So, again, just another word for ungodly. Ungodly. Okay. So, this Haman is wicked. Now, again, not only was this a bombshell for the king, this is a bombshell for Haman, because I'm imagine this time he is loading up his pants. I mean, he really is. I say that nicely. Okay. So, uh, let's look at the king's answer. So, this is all out now. We've got, we've got the request is out and why she asked for the request. Okay. And so now we're going to look at the king's answer from verses 7 to 10 and his reaction to the request. First of all, he goes into the palace garden. So what do you think he went in the palace garden to do? Cool off. Think about what she just said, for sure. Give him time to think about. Collect his thoughts. 
Okay. Okay, how about consider the facts? Consider the facts, consider um, Haman's words, and probably Esther's words. I would imagine he's probably also thinking back all the things that Haman had told him about this. And are they, and then kind of balancing it with what Esther told him. You know, cause, cause remember, he had told, uh, Haman had told him this group, these, this Jewish, he didn't even tell them they were Jews, if we go back and look at it. He just said this group has weird, weird traditions. And we could give him that. Starts off with kind of a truth. And he goes, but they don't follow your laws, king. And they, and he goes, and king, they're not, profitable for you to even have so you know if they're not profitable for you they don't follow your laws you know you know it'd just be for your benefit to just get rid of them and so he's probably thinking about that and he's thinking about esther he's thinking about mordecai he's thinking about okay so let's see uh, uh mordecai told esther they saved my life what did haman do <laughs> you know he's probably balancing that all out so he he, he went to the garden I don't think, and Rex isn't here, um, I don't think he went out there to check on the tomatoes. Oh, no. No. So, how is his tomato? How are his tomatoes doing? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> he's been planting them once, and he's waiting until he's sure that there's no frost before he takes them outside. Okay. Yeah. They're getting big. They're probably about six or eight inches tall. Now. He's grown a couple tomatoes for us, so. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, are you sure? Yeah. yeah, we only have space for one. But anyway, okay, so he didn't go out there to check on the tomatoes. Probably not the supertunius. You guys know about supertunius? No. I'm talking to the men. I know the ladies probably do. Hydrangeas. You guys know all that. You know the sad part is I know most of my wife's flowers. Are you a flower person? A little bit. Okay, so I'm... You don't plant flowers? Okay. We'll pray for you, Beverly. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's her, but let me see. I know their name, so what's that tell you? I'm somewhat involved. I'm somewhat involved. Okay. Okay. So he didn't go out into the garden to check on the tomatoes or the flowers, right? And I doubt if he went out there to have cigarettes. He's going out there, number one, to think, and number two, probably to cool off, because he's probably a little hot at this point. When he finds out his best, almost like best friend, his confidant, has been lying to him, and he goes out there to cool off, to kind of consider what's going on, and probably weigh out what he's going to do next. He's plotting to have the king's wife killed, and the guy that saved the king's life killed. Yeah. So, so the king's going to be plotting something too, isn't he? And so I like that because a P word's in that. So, uh, the letter P. Uh, well, how would you feel if you just found that out about your mm-hmm. your best 
Yeah, your best. Right. Because this is a bombshell. Number one, there is a threat against my wife's life. And it's my best friend that's doing it, basically. He's known Haman a lot longer than he ever has Esther. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll buy that. But yet he's running everything through his mind, I'm thinking. He's like, okay, I've got to go through the facts. I need to check things out, which is what he should be doing. And if it's a saved person, you need to be going to the Lord. But, you know, we're not, we're not saying that he's saved. Or, but at least he's going out and thinking through things, okay? So he comes back. So he's probably, and I'm, let me see what my notes are. So he's probably thinking, okay, what has Esther done for me? What has Haman done? What has Esther said to me? What has Haman said? And he's starting to, like, like I said, he's starting to ignore what the media says. I'm sorry. Ignore what Haman says and believe what his wife is telling him. Okay, so he comes back to find Haman on Esther's. You got a blank there, on her bed. Now again, beds back then there were maybe a day bed, maybe a you know maybe they were eating on these you know like I would call like a dog pillow or you know something that you know a big old pillow that 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 you would lay on. I don't know if they have tapes. So he's he's probably. I doubt if he's in there just snuggled up to her, uh, and he may have her by the feet. He, he's he, what's he doing? He's asking for his life. And I thought, well, why didn't he run out to talk to the king? Why did he go to her? Because obviously, well, think about that. Why didn't he just walk out into the garden with the king? Well, he, number yeah, one, the, he always goes to your wife. Yeah, very good point. I hadn't really even thought about that till you just mentioned that they. Satan always, who'd he go talk to? Eve. He didn't talk to the man. And why didn't he talk to the man? Because the man wasn't in the room. And Adam was gone too. And I, I always wonder, Adam, where in the world were you when this happened? Even my wife says that. She goes, where was he at? Out goofing, probably out playing golf. But wait, it says she turned and gave it to him. So he's got to be right there. Who? Haman is in the room with, oh, with Adam and Eve? Well, when, when Satan had talked to Eve, Adam wasn't there. Go back and study that. But yeah, he's not in the room till later. But anyway, so, uh, he comes back in and he finds Haman on Esther's bed and now he's really mad. (laughs) He's like, cause he says in verse 8, says, then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine and Haman was fallen upon the bed where Esther was. Okay, so we believe, we believe that he's probably begging for his life. Okay, but the king comes in and he sees him at least, you know, on the bed or at the bottom of the bed, somehow in his mind he's thinking, what is this guy going to do? Is he going to, is he trying to rape my wife right here in, in, in the house? In front of me. In front of me. Yeah, who does this guy think he is, you know? And so, um, and as the word went out of the king's mouth and into the verse, they covered Haman's face. So that's going to back up or move forward where we're at. So, the king's an, the king's answer comes up here to, to the request. It's, he's going to answer her request. But number one, it's helped out by the chamberlains. It just so happens 
Remember, we don't see God anywhere in this, but we see him behind the scenes. It just so happened that the chamberlains are right there. And when they see the king upset about Haman and about him accusing Haman of, of lying, trying to lie with his wife, that the chamberlains are right there. And they just so happen to have a covering to put over Haman's face. They just have, do they run around with that in their back pocket? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I kind of doubt it. But they'd have a, they have like a pillowcase or a covering and, and as soon as the king kind of says some rough words right back to Amon, the chamberlains are slipping on the pillowcase over his head like, and, and so, uh, what, why would somebody put a covering over somebody's face in that position? Because you're going to kill them. Every time in the Old West, well, not every time, but a lot of times you would see people, when they're getting ready to hang him, they put, they put a black cloth or something or a hood or over their face. Same thing here. Same applications going on. But they just so happen to have that covering in their, in, in their pocket. And it says, And Harbana, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So not only the, 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 the chamberlains are there that help out with the hood, then you have another chamberlain by the name of Habanah, and we see him back in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 7. He's one of the king's chamberlains. I mean, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. He is one of the seven of the king's chamberlains. He just happens to be there also. And he just so happens to mention. So how come he waited till now to mention it? He knew it. And well, he he was powerless to do anything about it. You mean the, the chamberlain? Yeah, he couldn't tell him about it earlier? No, because nothing had come out yet. Even though they know who's behind the scenes, the king didn't know it. It's like the king doesn't know anything and everybody else knows all the details, including the chamberlain. So your point is very good. The chamberlains kind of know what's going on. So they couldn't say, hey, what's Haman building there? But, yeah, so so it just so happens that they do know about it and he brings it out. Right. So it's kind of like... Kind of like Esther had to do, and yeah. yeah, it's kind of like at at your house. the The husband's the last guy to know anything, probably. Does that happen here at your house? I mean, does the wife know more what's going on? Do the kids know more what's going on? Does the neighbor know more what's going on? Half the time, it's like the the guy's just in out there, you know. He's just uh, same what. Abbey, you know, all the servants downstairs, they knew everything. They know the details. It's kind of like here. It's like somebody somebody came and asked me some questions once and, and they go, well, you're a deacon, you should know. And I'm like, the deacons don't know anything. Everybody else knows the details. The deacons are kind of like the pastors. They don't know what's going on. you got to talk to the people. And I'm exaggerating a little bit. But a lot of times that would happen. You'd get, well, did you know this, this, and this? And I'm like... No, no, I'm here seven days a week and I don't know that. Um, I mean, you can call people up that don't even go to our church that knows more of what's going on here than some of us. Thank you for pointing that out. Okay, so my point is the king here in this whole story, 
knows less about what's going on than Esther, than Haman, and then the Chamberlains. And yet, once he gets the facts, then he's gonna, he's gonna have a decision here. So it just so happens, like I said, they had a hood on him. It just so happened that the right Chamberlain is there. And it just so happens that he mentions, you know, uh, the good thing that, that, uh, Mordecai had done to the king and the bad thing that that Haman had planned for Mordecai. Let's go back and look at that verse 9. It says, And Harbinah, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows, 50 cubits high. Did the king ask him what to do next? No, they, he, he, the king just said, um, are you, are you, are you going to force my wife in front of me? And the chamberlain's like, Hey, we got some gallows right over here. <laughs> I mean, so he's implying it, you know. And, and Harbinah, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, and by the way, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So all along the scenes, God's behind the scenes, getting the right people at the right time with the right words. And so it just so happens. Do you think that they didn't like Haman either? And now that the opportunity arose for them to tell him about... Are, are you reading my notes too? Because my question was, do you think the Chamberlains liked Haman? <laughs> that's funny. Nobody likes a weasel. Nobody. So, so I think that's the answer to the question, uh, Diana. They, I don't think... They liked him either. I mean, Haman was uh, probably, again, he's a narcissist, narcissist. It was all about him. And I'm sure he did not have any friends in the palace because, you know, it's, it's you serve on me. It's you serve me, not me serve you type attitude. And it, even if you don't bow the right way, you know, I'm not happy about it. So yeah, they didn't like him at all. I'm getting rid no. of Mordecai and I, and I can get rid of you. Yeah. So the, the, the request is hang Haman thereon. That's what the king said. So in this instance, uh, the king acts just like Roy Bean. Roger and I was talking about Roy Bean yesterday. It's weird. We talk about the weirdest stuff, don't we? <laughs> and he's, he's known as what? The hanging judge. The hanging judge. Yeah. No trial. No jury, just a rope. Just a rope. So you could say, you know, you could call this um, um, chapter 7, you know, the neck meets the noose if you wanted to, because that's what happens at the end of it. So, uh, yes, justice is is happening here. But uh, turn over in your Bible to Psalms chapter 9. And I'll, I'm going to wrap things up real quick because I go so too long. The snares and the traps that the enemy has set for Israel, they will fall into themselves. Yes, and you know the Antichrist will be the same thing. Oh, yeah. And so um, Psalms chapter 9, and let's start in verse 15 through 20. It says, the Lord also will be a re- refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises unto the Lord. Somehow that does not sound right. Where did I tell you to go? 
chapter 9. Psalms 9, verse 15. What did I just read to you? Well, we don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can't find Psalms. You got this? You went to 9-9. I'm sorry. You are right. I'm reading it myself and I'm like, this is not making sense. Okay, I went to 9-9, not 9-15. Okay, thank you for helping me out. Verse 15, the heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higayon uh, Selah. The wicked, and notice here, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. So basically he's saying, you know, the evil are going to fall by their own means here. But turn over to chapter 7 and we're going to continue on. Or turn back to chapter 7. Verse 11 says, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he, that he there is the Lord, will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. And then turn over to chapter 35. This is the last one. And just like, just like Roger had mentioned, the Antichrist is going to dig, you know, he's going to fall by his own means. Psalms 35, and we'll read verse 7 and 8, says, For without cause they have hid me, or hid for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares, and let his net that he hath hid catch himself. And to that very destruction, let him fall. And so, you know, there's uh, a lot of cliches, you know, around this 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 thought, this meaning that, you know, you know, your own actions are going to come back to get you, basically. And and I know there's some more meanings here I could probably throw out that escape me right now, but basically. God lets the wicked hang themselves. You reap what you sow. That's a very good one. And, and, and the thought comes to me, it's like, how long a rope does God give people, both saved and lost, before He chains it? How, how big of a chain does He give the lost and the saved until He yanks it back? And so that works both ways. You know, with, with a, with a Christian, he'll, he'll give us some rope and then finally he'll, you know, like that dog on the end of it, he'll, he'll rip it back. And so you need to always get right with the Lord before he has to do that. But with this, with the lost, it gets to the point where God just lets them sink on their own, their own destruction. The reprobate person will bring his own 
destruction. And when you think about it, that's man in general. Man sins, and if and if he doesn't get a remedy for that sin, he will reap the destruction of that sin. So when we get to heaven, you know, those people at the great white throne judgment, they'll stand before God and, and he'll ask them basically, what did you do with my son? And their sins are going to get them cast in the lake of fire. And it's because they did not accept Christ for that. So there are own sins will come about and bring our own destruction. And that's exactly what happened to Haman. His evil deeds brought him down. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll move forward. Father in heaven, we thank you for the story. Help help us to, to glean from the truths, not only from the story, but from your whole Bible, Lord. And help us to, to put them in our life and remember them and, and live them out. That you know, Help us to, to focus on, on, on righteousness. And Lord, help us to realize what happens to the wicked. And, uh, Lord, let that be a, 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 a means for us to focus our lives on you and to live our lives for you. So we pray for that today. Pray, pray for the main service again. Just pray for Brian that he would give the word in a way that we can understand it. Pray for his illustrations. Pray for, uh, the, the thoughts that he wants, uh, the Bible that he wants, the things that he's trying to get across to us, Lord. Pray that that does come across. Pray that we would hear it. And pray that we would put it, put it in our, in our life, in our heart, and, and, and live it out, Lord. So we, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for, for the sharing of your word. And we just ask your blessing upon today, in Christ's name, amen.